You go from one thing to another to another to another all day long. But how to handle all those transitions? On this episode, Gretchen Rubin shares strategies to create a bit of inner calm by being mindful about outer order. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 403. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. One of the calls of leadership for all of us is handling a lot of complexity in our days. I know when I'm talking with our audience members, academy members, how many people are talking to me about all the transitions we have to make in any given day, both in our professional lives, going between meetings and customer interactions, and and you know needing to dive in and also do strategic thinking on our own. And then, of course, the personal things that come into play, too, of being a, a good family member or a parent or a friend. So many transitions that happen in our daily lives. And when I came across today's guest's new work, I just couldn't help but think of what a wonderful person for us to learn from on how to navigate transitions, create a bit of order, have hopefully find a bit of calmness there, and do that effectively. And today's guest is really an expert. Gretchen Rubin is my guest today. She explores happiness and good habits and is the author of several books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, and The Four Tendencies. She has an enormous readership, both in print and online, and her books have sold more than 3.5 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. And she is the author also of the new book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, Declutter, and Organize to Make More Room for Happiness. Gretchen, it is also on the New York Times bestseller list. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so thrilled to get to meet you and talk with you. Thank you so much for all the wonderful work you've done to help us all find more happiness. And I am curious about the title of the book, Outer Order, Inner Calm. Tell me more about that. How did those four words emerge in the title? Well, it's funny. One of the things that I love to do, and I hope to write a book about this one day, is my secrets of adulthood. And these are the things you know we learn from time and experience where we're like, okay, like turning things off and on often fixes a glitch. This is the secret of adulthood, um, you know, but some of them are more profound. And one thing that I sort of threw out there because it's very true in my life is that outer order contributes to inner calm. And what I found is this really resonated with readers and listeners to the Happier Podcast. People would repeat this back to me and, they, and there's clearly kind of an energy around creating outer order that seems almost disproportionate. Like we can all agree that having a messy desk is kind of a trivial issue in a happy life. And yet over and over, I would feel, and people would tell me that they would feel that when they got control over the stuff in their lives, they would feel more in control of their lives generally and a sense of calm and focus and almost even a sense of possibility. Like a friend of mine said, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. And I knew uh, exactly how that felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like clearing the deck. I, as you- It is. Yeah. As you started talking with people about this, what surprised you when thinking about this outer space and then contributing to how we show up internally? The thing that surprises me is really how disproportionate the connection is. Because you could say, oh, yeah, well, it's good to do helpful preparation and, you know, it's good to like clean up your desk and get ready. 
But it seems to be a much more profound and like and kind of you get more bang for the buck than you would think. Over and over, people are there's kind of an exhilaration that comes from getting this. And even when I had this with my home office, so I have a little tiny office, but I spent you know huge amounts of my time here. And I thought it was pretty, pretty orderly, pretty clear. And then my daughter, who's even more ruthless than I am, came in and we got rid of three huge bags of stuff from this little office. And now I just feel like I can breathe. Like I just feel this kind of almost physical sense of relief. Thoreau wrote, I love a broad margin to my life. And I just think when we get rid of all that stuff that's in our way, we just feel like there's more possibility and also more focus. That word margin that you Mm -hmm. mentioned in the quote, that is something that I know I struggle with. And I would imagine the vast majority of our listening audience really struggle with this as well. Just thinking about the daily transitions that happen, work, parenting. And one of the things that really came up for me in reading this book was thinking about one of the pieces of advice you have, which is being intentional about stopping for five or 10 minutes and making some transition. How did that emerge in your thinking on this? Well, it's interesting because as a, as a parent, you realize that there's a lot of attention paid to giving children transitions, helping them transition into bed, helping them transition during, you know, their school day. And there's a real awareness that you cannot jerk children from one activity to another if you expect that to go well. And I think that like many things, one of the things I've concluded is that what we think applies to children usually applies to adults as well. And I think adults need transitions. And I know that I need transitions. I need margins. I need time to kind of go with ease from one part of my day to another. And I think this is one reason why people feel overtaxed and rushed and like why you can't go to sleep, kind of wired and jacked up and rushing. And often, you know, you go slow to go fast and you take your time. And that's when you don't leave something important behind. That's when you don't fire off an email without giving yourself a minute to think about, okay, is this the right tone? Is this, did I reply or did I reply all? Very important to take a minute to check. Do I have gas in my car? Uh, Did I make sure that I have, uh, am I going to have a chance to eat lunch? These kinds of transitional ways of making sure that we're prepared and that we do have a time to go mindfully from one part of our day to the next really can make everything feel less cluttered, but also then just calmer and then just much more efficient because it's always like, you know, you run out of gas at exactly the wrong time. You've run out of stamps exactly when like a bill is due tomorrow taking time to build in those margins, I think really pays off in the long run. I was thinking about your work, Gretchen, and how busy you are, and and also so effective you are clearly in in what you're doing. And your work, I think, while it may at first look different than some of the work of our audience members, in some ways, I think there's so many similarities too. You have a very public part of your job in going out into the world and doing events and podcasting and being very present in media. And also, you have a very intense, quiet part of your work as far as research and writing. And I was thinking about that in the context of leadership and how many folks in our community also deal with that, of being having this very public of being in front of customers and in front of teams all day long. And then at the same time, being called to do very intense, deep, strategic thinking, having the margin you talked about. I'm curious for you, what does that look like as far as how do you handle all those different things in the context of a day and a week? 
Well, I think you're absolutely right that this is a huge conflict for people or, or it's a tension, I should say. It's not a conflict. But often, you know, you'll hear about people like, oh, I had to go out of my office and work because I can't get any work done when I'm at the office or feeling like there's no time to shut the door. There's no time to concentrate. And people have all different ways of handling that. And I've heard of people even like when they're bringing work home, they'll have a computer for fun or for like home stuff. And then they'll have a computer that's like a work computer. Or, you know, you hear of people having two phones. I mean, sometimes you use your device or your circumstances as a way to kind of force yourself from one state into another state. Because I, I think it can be hard. And certain workplaces are much more respectful of, let's have a day with no meetings. Or if you want to have your office door closed for, you know, every Monday morning and every Friday morning, because that's your planning and, and, and deep thinking time. Some workplaces I know from talking to people who are frustrated are less respectful of that. And also there's just kind of work styles that come up. Like I am a person who wants to send emails all the time. I just want to get it off my mind. So I'm just going to send you an email. You email me back whenever the time is right for you. If you don't want to work at night, if you don't want to work on the weekends, that's fine for me. But what I found is that people really felt, a lot of people felt very resentful of that because they felt if I sent an email, it created an expectation that they would respond. And so now I try to remember, not 100%, to use delay delivery so that people get emails during work hours, but I get to fire off the email when it occurs to me. So I don't have to keep like a long list of to-dos of just to write an email that I could just go ahead and write right now. But creating that time for deep focus, I find myself going for a long walk is a great time to just sort of think generally about something. Because sometimes it's not even like you're thinking about a specific problem, but you need to step back and just kind of survey the landscape and kind of just let your thoughts drift and sort of see what comes up, that can be very hard to do in kind of the pressing priorities of when you're actually in a workplace with other people and all of the stuff that they're trying to get done. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And I think that a lot of, I know I can certainly relate to that feeling of like wanting to handle stuff as it comes in, handling the email, handling the meetings, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's five, six o'clock, whatever. And, uh, you know, you've been busy all day, but not, not a lot has been accomplished necessarily. Creating that space, I, I, I hear from so many people that they want to get better at doing that. And if they find that, that creating that space is, is often the hardest part. It's very easy to get, for it to get crowded out because it's, it's that classic thing of the urgent is crowding out the important. But then, you know, sometimes we're, we're our own worst enemies, like one thing that's come up over and over again is procrastinating. Wait, this is what, then what this is, is when the desire for outer order actually turns into procrastination. And I think a lot of people have experienced this when you're like, it's because there's helpful preparation. Like I'm going to clean up my desk and I'm going to close down, you know, stuff that I don't need. And I'm going to throw the trash away and I'm going to file some stuff and I'm going to clear some space. And now I'm going to start the annual report. Uh, but then sometimes people are like, oh, well, you know, there's this big bookshelf in my office and I've really never paid any attention to it in three years. But now that I look at it, I feel like I cannot move forward on the annual report until I take everything off that, decide about everything that's on that bookcase, scrub it down, alphabetize the stuff on there, maybe put them in chronological order, maybe color code them. Maybe everything needs to be in a new binder. You know, I don't know what it is about binders. People really have (laughs) affinity for binders. And so, you know, it's this desire for outer order, but then it actually is crowding out more important priorities because part of it is like, you have to know the difference between helpful preparation and procrastinating. It's amazing how much you can get done on a lot of other things when you have something really important to do, isn't it? Well, and sometimes people say that this is their productive procrastination. That's fine as long as you are actually making 
progress towards something that's really important. In my own observation, that is often not the case. It's not like you're working on the number two most important thing instead of number one. You're working on like the 15th most important thing instead of number one or number two or number three or number four or number five. And, And this is fine for some people because they don't have that much going on. But I think for people who really need to stay focused on what is important and get it done in a timely way and also be able to plan like I know that I can get this done. I I can't start B until A is done. Well, when am I going to finish A? I kind of have to have an idea in my my mind when I'm going to finish A, and I have to be able to be able to count on myself. And so I think being aware of things where you might be putting stumbling blocks in your way. Another thing is fake work and make work. This comes up a lot in the office where you know again with the binders. It's like well, I need to make a binder, and I'll have like tabs, and then we'll have like labels, and then you know we're going to do we're going to change the format of the slides and. We're going to shred this. And, you know, it's like, does that need to be shredded? Does this need to be in any kind of permanent form? Or is this just like an evanescent document that just needs to serve its purpose? It can be like a C plus presentation because it just doesn't matter. You know, you don't want to waste time and make work for yourself. But, you know, again, it's almost a form of procrastination or delay or or it's just fake work. It's like me changing the formatting of of my document. After 30 seconds, it's just like pick a standard font and move on. You know, you're over clearing, over organizing, over thinking it, perhaps. It happens more often than you might think. We fall into these traps. One of the hacks that uh, really inspired me uh, that you've spoken about is the strategy of pairing things. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how you've used the strategy of pairing and, and, and how that shows up. So the strategy of pairing is one of the 21 strategies that I identify in the book better than before. And these are the strategies that people use to make or break habits. And 21 sounds like a lot. I know people are like, don't give me 21, give me three. But the thing is, some work really well for some people and some don't. And so you want to know all your options. So if you're trying to change a habit, you can think of everything that might work for you. The strategy of pairing that you mentioned is one of the most universally useful strategies, I would say. And this is when you take something that you want to do and you pair it with something you need to do or that you have to do. So like in my case, I'm traveling and I'm in my hotel room and I'm going to pair that with reading. I'm not going to let it be paired with TV. It's like, if I'm in a hotel room, can I watch HGTV? No, I can't. Now I could make a rule for myself. When do I get to watch HGTV? When I'm on the treadmill? Yes. So then that might make me want to be on the treadmill more because like now is the time. I don't even want to watch HGTV that much. For some reason, it's a hotel room only experience. I do not know. But but people will often say like, oh, there's this podcast that I'm really interested in. I'll only do that when I'm exercising. Or when I was in, high, when I was in college, I had a rule that I could only shower on a day that I exercise. So, you know, you can go a day, you can go two days, but eventually you really want to take that shower. So I would have to exercise just, just in order to get to the shower. Right. And pairing is very helpful in partly it often will make something less pleasant, more pleasant because it's associated with something positive. And it's a way to keep it on the schedule because you want it to be, in in part, you want it to be on there. And so that's something that a lot of people find helps when there's a habit that one way it comes up is people who have trouble taking their medication every day will just say, I can't have my first cup of coffee until I take my medication and I'll leave the bottle right in front of the coffee pot. I'm going to get that first cup of coffee. Like nothing is going to stop me from getting to that coffee. So I have to take my medication first. These things are paired, and then it very quickly will solidify into a habit. So that's pairing. What are some of the habits you found that when you're preparing to go on stage, do an interview, you're in front of a large group of people, 
What do you do in that five minutes before you step into that space that's helpful to perform well? If I can, I try to do 10 jumping jacks. I use 10 jumping jacks as like the cure for everything. Like if you're feeling blue, if you're feeling low energy, if you're trying to get yourself in a place to talk, it's sort of goofy and childlike, especially if anybody can see you and it just gets your energy (laughs) up and it's just cheering. So I'll do that. Sometimes I can't because given what kind of microphone situation, it might like the microphone might like go flying off my dress. Or if I can't, I'll like swing my arms up and down wildly to try to, you know, create that kind of blood flow. And then I also always remind myself to put myself in the mind of the audience. These people are here to listen and I want to engage and connect and really to have this sense of like a sense of engagement. I read this thing about about public speaking or really performance. It was really more for musicians and I think it's very, very helpful. And so this was Livingston Taylor. He's a he's James Taylor's brother and he's a very well known he teaches music and performance. And he always says, you want your performance to be well within your capacity. You don't want you, you might think to yourself, oh, I should push myself to do something, you know, kind of like extraordinary or like, you know, really go out of my comfort zone. His thing is with performance, you always want to be well within your performance zone because you want to be, have a lot of ability to engage with the audience, listen to the audience, see what's happening in the audience. And I have certainly found that to be true because that was something that was very important for me. I think this is something many people experience is I would just want to re- go through what I, I had to say. And so I'd almost like blank out the audience because so I could stay concentrated on what I was doing. It's not good for performance. And so now I really try to keep it in a place where I can, ex- I can respond to the audience and I can be listening to them and kind of gauging them and stay playful and cheerful and relaxed. Not, you know, so worried about like, if I, I don't want to feel like I have to rush through it and I don't want to feel like I have to stretch it out. And, you know, I want to, it's just about making sure that there's room for the performance part of it, not just the presentation part of it, because really that's what makes people listen is when they feel like you're with them and not just talking at them. And I certainly have experienced this myself as an audience member. We've all experienced that when somebody's just like blathering on, it's very hard to listen. They're not delivering it in a way that you can even really pay attention very easily, even if you're interested in the subject. Everything you're saying is really from a place of margin. I think about how many leaders, especially new managers, go into situations and they've got the agenda and they got things scripted out. I was thinking, as you were saying this too, of when I started interviewing people on the show, I used to script out questions. And yeah. I realized as I got off of that script, or for whatever reason, I didn't quite prepare the questions as perfectly how much better the conversation was because I had a little more space for it to emerge however it needed to emerge. And I hear you saying this almost the same thing of allow that space in that margin of let's not try to be perfect. Let's try to be genuine and engage and be real with whoever we're interacting with. But the thing is, it's actually harder because like just going through a bullet point of questions, like you ask a question, I answer, then you go to number two. That's easy. Number three, I mean, it's much harder, I think, even though it's much more satisfying to be like, I need to move this conversation forward so we feel like we're moving through ideas and yet I need to stay present and listen and follow up. It's harder to kind of go off road than it is to just march through a set of 10 or 12 questions. But you're right, it's so much better because people have that feeling of an actual, of like actual engagement. To me, that's always the thing. Is there engagement? If people are laughing, that's a form of engagement. When you have been in front of a group and even maybe had a day where you've had a lot of that how do you then come down from that? What's mm. the transition look like outside of that five or 10 minutes afterwards? 
That is really hard. And it's hard because in what I do, there's like a lot of times, like I'll give a talk and then I'll do a book signing, both of which are kind of demanding in different ways. And so I have had to learn how to manage my energy to have kind of like a double conclusion. What's really hard is if sometimes I'm just like go home by myself, but sometimes like somebody's driving me home and then I have to have a conversation. That's really hard. Like by then I'm almost like, it's really hard for me just to form words. I'm not, it's not that I'm not wanting to talk to you, but I like literally can't even think of the words to say that can be very draining. And usually I just go to, most of my stuff is in the evening. So I'll just go to right to sleep. Oh, I wanted to mention this before. This is a really useful idea. I think it's Kelly McGonigal who wrote about this, that sometimes people get very concerned because they feel stressed. Oh, I'm really stressed about this presentation. I feel super stressed about going out in front of this group. And like the fact that they're feeling stressed makes them feel more stressed. But what you can say to yourself, and this is perfectly true, that stress is really your body helping you. Stress is helping you focus. Stress is helping you pull things from your memory. Stress is making sure that you're not distracted by how uncomfortable your shoes are or the fact that you're hungry or the fact that you're cold. I'm often freezing cold before I go out to speak because often stages are just for whatever reason, super cold. Your stress will erase that from you. You will not be distracted by that once you start to speak. And that is your body coming to your rescue. It is trying to help you. And the stress is your body mounting up to help you in this way. And you're excited. And so sometimes reframing it as I'm really excited to give this presentation and I feel that my body is like helping me get ready to do my best work. That can often reframe it because I think sometimes people almost blame themselves. They're like, why should I should be just chill? Like other people just get out here and have a good time. Why can't I? Like, why am I so nervous? It's like, oh my gosh, so many people are really nervous about public speaking. This is just your body trying to help you. It's interesting. I heard someone speak about anxiety in children and they were saying, why is it that all these children who are very high performing have really good grades are very anxious. And the person said, that's part of why they're high performing. That's part of why they get good grades is they're anxious. And he said, you meet people who have kids who have no anxiety. They want to get those kids more anxious because like the kids are like, who cares if I've got a test tomorrow? It'll be fine. It's like, you got to worry about that. You know, so we want to be in the right zone, a, a helpful zone, a zone that is helping us to do our best work, but not so overwhelming us that it's a distraction and a depletion. And part of that is just experience. Like you do it enough times and then you're, and just remember that the more familiar you are with things, the less anxiety provoking they are. And so if you're super nervous the first time or the first five times, just remember it does get better. And in my field, I know so many people who started out never having done public speaking and they were terrified and then they become very comfortable with it. Even people who don't really enjoy it, you will not feel that level of discomfort and like dread that you might feel when you start as you continue. It does it does really become something for most people that becomes much, much more comfortable. I'm curious about something you said a moment ago of you've had the big day, you've had the event, you're driving home with someone because they're the person who's handling logistics for the event. And it's really hard to like form words. And I was thinking about the, the context of like some of us at the end of our day, you know, we're seeing that person who's maybe been on the calendar for two or three weeks they need our attention and we're just we're just done and it's such a hard place to be because you want to be so present for that person and yet you are physically spent what have you found that has helped you to just navigate through that to be present with someone at the same time just honor where you are i mean if you could even like say can you give me 5 minutes to get myself settled or something like that just give yourself a delay and literally if you can like go someplace shut the door and lie down on the lie down on the floor and just try to take some deep breaths and just let yourself relax. I will do that often. 
you can get a lot of energy boost in five minutes. And then due to the 10 jumping jacks, you know, eat something. Some people eat all the time. That's there's negatives to that. But some people really will go a very long time without eating. And there's crazy research like from sentencing of people before courts about how people function differently when they are have just had a good meal and when they are really, really hungry. So part of it is also just making like maybe you need to have like a bag of almonds in your desk and at three o'clock you're going to have a couple handfuls or whatever. But to also acknowledge that sometimes people feel like they just should be able to push through anything. But in the end, our physical experience will always color our emotional experience. It always clouds our judgment if it's clamoring for something. And so I think you have to respect the body and really say, if you need five or 10 minutes to just catch your breath or have a snack or or go to the bathroom, that's going to affect your judgment. And in the end, it could be very, very costly. Because you just say to somebody, oh my gosh, okay, fine, whatever you want, because you just want them out of your office. And then it turns out that you've set into motion a horrible situation that you're going to have to untangle, you know, in a month. And also, I think knowing whether you're a morning person or a night person, really take that into account. Again, sometimes people think they think you can just ignore that, that that's kind of illegitimate. There's a fascinating book called Internal Time by Ronenberg that really compellingly makes the case that there really are morning people and night people and that we're much better off trying to respect that and shape our day as much as we can. Obviously, we don't have total control, but as much as we can, don't make a difficult meeting at 5 p.m. if you know that you're going to have a really busy day and you're a morning person. like You just know from the beginning that's not going to work. And you could say, it's a super important meeting. I have to get it in. But you're like, this is not a meeting that I could have for five o'clock on a Monday afternoon. I mean, if that's the case, then you have to think of a different solution. So I think part of it is respecting your own limitations and your own physical machine. And again, it's true. I mean, some people have more flexibility. Some people are really in situations where they have very little flexibility or control. And of course, that's a huge happiness stumbling block. When they look at why people are happy or less happy, one of the major elements of people who are happier is they're the people who say they have more control, especially control over their time. The more we control our time, it really, really does contribute to our happiness. So there's some things we can't control, but often there are things we can control. So maybe you want to say to your boss, can we not have the staff meeting at 8.30 a.m.? Because half the people in this room are like really not wide awake till 10.30. Can we just move it to 10.30 and have that be the time of the standing meeting? Maybe you can't, but maybe you could. Maybe you could. If he's like, oh, I'm going to have much more lively, engaged group, maybe it's worth the hassle of changing the time of the standing meeting. Yeah. And I, I hear you saying so much, like the reminder to take agency over that. We, yes. don't, we don't always have the ability to do that, but but almost always there's something we can do, whether it's yes. you know, taking the snack or taking the five minutes or maybe requesting a different time. It's not not trying to do what we need to do. It's just finding the proper alignment. Gretchen, I'm, I'm just struck by I mean, how much you've done around happiness and good habits and helping people to really live fulfilling lives, both in work and professionally. And it's so much about leadership is learning and growing. And I'm curious, as you've written the books, as you've talked to audiences all over the world. In the last few years, what have you changed your mind on? You know, I used to wonder if I could find the best way or the right way or the most efficient way. And I was constantly looking for that and the the evidence for that. And what I've realized is there is no one best way. There is no one right way. There's no most efficient way to do things because people are different. I'm different from you. What works for me is something different from you. I want a morning meeting. You want an afternoon meeting. It's not that one way is right and one way is wrong. It's not that a clear desk is better than a desk that has four piles on it. We all have to find the way that works for us. 
And sometimes that means we have to compromise with other people so that we can find a circumstance where everyone can thrive. But the idea that, okay, this is the best way, so-and-so says to do it this way, and therefore everyone will fit into that mold, it's just not true. There is no magic one-size-fits-all solution. Gretchen Rubin is the author of Outer Order, Inner Calm, Declutter and Organize to Make More Room for Happiness. Gretchen, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you. It was so fun to talk to you. Thank you, Gretchen. If you found this conversation useful, several past episodes I'd recommend as well. One of them is episode 233, How to Make Deep Work Happen with Cal Newport. Uh, Also, I'd recommend along with that, the recent conversation with him, episode 400, How to Reclaim Conversation. I'm thinking about Cal in the context of my conversation today with Gretchen and thinking about transitions and how we put together our work each day, as Gretchen and I discussed. And in particular, Cal talks in deep work about having a shutdown procedure at the end of the day and making the transition from us thinking about our work lives and into our personal lives. And that got me thinking about this when I was reading Gretchen's book and transitions and the importance of that. So if you want to dive in there more, episode 233 is a great place to start. I also would recommend strongly, if this conversation resonated with you, uh, checking out episode 332, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing with Daniel Pink. Daniel and I talked in detail last year about his most recent book, When, and the tremendous research that is out there on timing throughout the day of how our energy levels are really affected uh, by the different parts of the day. And uh, there are some common patterns uh, that are typical for many people, but there's also, for all of us, different energy patterns that really do relate to how productive we are and also the kind of work that we should be engaging in at different times of the day. I made pretty substantial changes to how I structure my days, uh, when I have certain kinds of conversations, when I do certain kinds of work after reading Daniel's book and having that conversation with him. And many folks in our listening audience have taken the mantle on that as well of really thinking about how to structure time and resources in a really insightful way so that you can really utilize your time and energy well. Episode 332 is a great starting point for that. Of course, all of the episodes are available on the coachingforleaders.com website, and I would encourage you to activate your free membership on the website. Uh, All of the episodes are available for free, but if you activate your free membership, when you get in the membership portal, one of the things you're going to find is the episode library that's searchable by topic. So for example, if you are interested in one of the topics of today's conversation, Uh, energy management, you'll be able to find all the other episodes that are there tagged that same way. It's making that shift from just being a consumer, as some of you have heard me talk about, to being more like a producer, really looking for the resources that are going to help you to learn on the topics that are most important to you right now. The free membership gives you access to all of that and the weekly guides come in on Wednesday. You can set up your free membership by going over to coachingforleaders.com and activating it right now plus a ton more available there. I will see you next Monday for our next conversation about leadership. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.